0: You know, it's not like every Saturday at three PM, two PM, one PM kind of thing because it's me. I'm the only. one That would one be
1: that... a weird schedule. Two PM, three PM, yeah, one PM. It
0: would be. <laughs> it would be a hard one to keep. In fact. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I might have some scheduling conflicts with that schedule there, but we can move past that. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, listeners. So glad that you've joined us once again for another episode of Madison Story Slam. Today we're talking to John Melezova of State Line Distillery. You might remember John from one of our Story Slam nights over at his place at State Line. And uh, we're working on heading back there for some Wednesday evening. Hopefully Wednesdays. I don't know. I don't know what their schedule is these days anymore. Hey, real quick, before we get to talking to John, reminder that May 20th is our first story slam in over three years at the Wilmar Center. The theme is Boldly. We're sponsored this time by One Barrel Brewing Company. So come ready for great refreshments for the great stories. And if you want to tell a story based on the theme Boldly, check the show notes now because there's a link to the sign up. There, you can be among the first to sign up. All right, if you like whiskey, if you like spirits, here's me and John.
0: You go back far enough in my kind of trajectory. I have a degree in uh, higher education, educational policy administration. Now, my further degree back is biology, which is kind of how it all loops together. Uh, But I had graduated from the University of Minnesota, and then um, I've moved to Madison for the job at Edgewood College in student affairs. Okay. Um, and that's that's what brought me here.
1: So that's how you knew Dave Nelson? Because he yes. worked in higher education. I always yeah, wondered what yeah. that
0: connection was. So Dave and I didn't meet until after I got back from Scotland, and I was working at the University of Wisconsin okay. in letters and science. And that's when I was introduced to Dave, and gosh, we, we became quick friends in the department.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what a great guy Dave was. We've, yeah. we've talked about him a few times on, the, on yeah. the show since the return here. Well, listeners, hi. It's me, Adam, again. I'm sitting here with John Melezeva of State Line Distillery. You might remember John from some of the stories he would tell when we were doing our live events at Stateline on Wednesday nights once a month. And I was actually just watching one of them today. And I was going to ask you, what does it mean exactly? We'll get into everything about who you are and and what Stateline's doing and everything Madison and John and Stateline. But what does it mean if somebody were to say, don't Melezeva something? Don't Melezeva it. (laughs) Ah, yes, yes, a classic.
0: So I fell in love for the first time when I was 11 years old to a neighbor, Jessica Losby, who lived two doors down from us and we just had all the things in common. We like to ride bikes. Uh, we like to play Frisbee. All these things that you that you kind of start off as friendly but as an 11-year-old you're kind of you're thinking about girls a little differently and pretty soon your friend becomes this little person that you actually really like and then you think, wow, well, I, I think I love this person. Um, and so I, I, I got up the courage after a few months of uh, going together um, to get her this, this gift. And it was, I was, at, I was at the mall and there was one of those old time change games where you had the claw that comes down and you, you know, spend $15 and you lose your sanity. And I, there was this, <laughs> this red cube that had a heart on it that said, I love you. And it was, you know, like it looked like a, di- a piece of dice. And so for the next week, I, I, I did my chores and mowed the lawns and collected enough quarters to finally win this damn thing. And so I brought it over to her house, and we're in the backyard. We're kind of by, we're actually behind the canoe. And I, I give this to her. And I don't really know what I thought was going to happen when I, I gave this to her, but she, she took it and, and she looked at me. And she went in to give me a kiss, and I fucking bolted. <laughs> I just—I panicked. I—I I, I don't know hell to do with that. So so I run, disappear, and a, a few a few days go by, and I, I finally get the courage uh, to come back to her house. So I I come over and I ring the doorbell, and this little shrimp of a younger sister opens the door and she's got my gift and she's squishing it and she says jessica's breaking up with you and throws it at me and shuts the door right broken so i i leave uh kind of crestfallen and actually about a month later they they move away and i i held on to this this stupid thing for years, and really actually still thought very fondly of, of Jessica, but I never, never got to see her again, and so, you know, life goes on, I, I, I get older than 11 years old, and I, I'm, I'm living back in uh, Minneapolis after undergrad, and I'm at, at this party, and my very good friend, Tony uh, Brown, comes in, and he's introducing his girlfriend to kind of everybody around here and says, ah, oh, this, is, this is my friend Melezova. And this girl goes, you're fucking Melezova? And I was like, yeah, that's an odd response. And she goes, I'm Callie Lasby, Jessica Losby's little sister. And so we're standing there, and she goes, Jesus, we've been talking about you for years. Anytime somebody has a situation they run away from, they say, don't fucking pull a Melezova. So... Yeah, we got real drunk. Uh, I got to meet Jessica again. Everybody laughed. And uh, they still say that about me, though, and their family. So there it is.
1: Dave is the one who connected me to you guys and was really pushing to have a story slam at your space at Stateline And you guys were just so great. You guys immediately were like, "Yeah, this is sounds like a great event, and we definitely want to be part of it." And we came there and just had so many great, so many great nights with so many good stories. And I honestly think part of it is how warm and welcoming that space is because of that wood. It's is it reclaimed barn wood? It is all from a
0: single barn in DeForest.
1: Yeah, yeah. That space is just like I I talk about the Wilmar uh, room that we the Wilmar Center the Yahara room that we met in, as being this kind of sacred, mystical, magical space. But I really do think of your your uh, tasting room as that same kind of... There's something magical happening in that room, whether you're a drinker or not. It's yeah. You walk in there and it's just like, wow.
0: Yeah, I think it hits the balance of, of being both uh, cozy and inviting in terms of how the seating is so that people are kind of sitting in a community with one another, and mm-hmm. it just it just works really well.
1: Yeah. So higher education is what brought you to Madison. Yeah. And then you mentioned going to Scotland and you're a distiller now. So I would imagine those two things are connected. Did you do <laughs> some schooling in, in Scotland to kind of learn the craft? Either? Yeah, I
0: did. So I mean, while I was at Edgewood, I got introduced to Tom Porter through a, just a, a random kind of event. And I, I think I begged and annoyed him enough. So he let me start shoveling grain at, at the, at the brewery out Mm -hmm. there. Uh, and at that point I was exposed to commercial level brewing. And I, at that before that I hadn't been, so it really piqued my interest. And so I started looking around for different programs and that's, when I came across uh, the master's in science and brewing and distilling at Harriet Watt over in uh, just outside
1: of Edinburgh. So what, did you get into it to be more into brewing? And then you were enticed by the, yep. the Scottish brogue? <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I went over there fully intending that I was going to open a brewery and um you know, I I'd, I'd done a lot of home brewing. My grandpa introduced me to it. You know, you know, quote unquote twenty one ish. Right. And, <laughs> um. So I, I even though I drank a lot of spirits, I'd never made them. But once I was over there and kind of dove into the program and saw the extension of what distillation is to the brewing process, I I just fell in love with that in terms of the artistry you can bring to it. And that's when my focus completely shifted.
1: Hmm. That's wild to me. I, I don't picture you as a beer guy. Yeah? I really don't. <laughs> like, you just, you know, so I used to host a whiskey podcast called mm-hmm. Chill Filtered. It's still a show. My co-host, Cole, is still going on with his new co-host, Robbie. And I believe they just did either their, I think their 250th episode, so they're going strong. And wow. But one thing that, I had never been a whiskey guy before I met Cole. And one thing I learned through that friendship and through that show is that there's something about... I think a lot of people in Wisconsin would talk about the kind of connections and community building that happens in a bard, and and they're going to talk a lot about drinking beer at, at somebody's house, at your buddy's house, around the fire, things like that. I didn't understand that it's it's even more with distilled spirits, it feels like. Mm. And, and I think it's about the process behind everything. And... I, I'm a I I'm a guy who just really believes in that um, intangible mystical magical thing behind some things, right? When a lot of people are drinking a spirit, they don't even think because they don't even know to think about everything about that process right. and all of the hands and all of the very skilled eyes and decision made. Like it's a very unique process to to bottle a spirit. And it really does feel like to me that when somebody does take that in and, and drink it, they're tapping into something that's already been there waiting for them. Yeah. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great way to kind of come at it. You know, I, I talk often when people ask me about what it is to make spirits, and the, the first half of it, of, of course, is really regimented. Standard operating procedures, you're coming up with recipes, you're following those, you're trying to improve upon them all the time. Uh, but we're doing things really the same. And then there's like this moment where you swing into the art of blending and you swing into aging. And this is when things move from this really um, objective kind of process into almost completely subjective, right? Hmm. Yeah. And that, to me, is when you're tapping into kind of the magic of what we do. And also you're getting... When you when the person tastes that spirit, they're getting to to see a bit of who we are as as distillers, right? I mean, is is the rum I'm producing fruit forward? Is you know what kind of whiskeys am I laying down? All these things are going to be um, experienced by someone else, but I'm I'm drawing up kind of that experience behind the curtain.
1: I wonder if maybe that's what it is. Is maybe this is just a perceived thing, either from me or people in general. For me, for sure, when I think of at least like large corporate breweries, mm-hmm. uh, like, domest- like I don't want to name names, but big domestic companies, right? You think of the moves that they make as, well, our audience wants this, our audience, uh, you know, whatever, our consumers are kind of leaning this way, so let's make something. Mm-hmm. It seems to me that um, distilleries and people who are making spirits, bottling spirits, it's very much so well okay but i mean this is what we want to do <laughs> our consumers may have this taste and and the the general t- trends might be going this way but that's we didn't get into this to follow the trends and to follow these paths we're here to make a new path
0: yeah and i i think there there's there is a strong element of that in terms of craft dist- distillation um we do every once in a while come back to this idea we still have to make something that people want to drink, yeah. right? So we it's a balance for us because what we're trying to do is educate people on how we do things and why we do things. Um, you know, why is it important that we work with the driftless region farmers outside of just regenerative agricultural practices? No, there's a practical reason in terms of what it does to the flavor of those spirits. So that to me is like the fun educational piece, and then carving out our own niche within any brand like you know any spirit class is also really top of our minds as well.
1: Hmm. I do I've always liked that you are working you know I came and shot this thing uh, one time just on a whim honestly. I like you didn't ask me to do it. I I don't even remember how it happened but but came and just did this little video thing and I loved hearing you talk about your passion for being here and working with the people here and you talked about how the location that you guys have and and that you had a hand in choosing was a very specific choice. Like, I, I think maybe that's what I'm I'm feeling. From I don't drink anymore, uh, but but as I think about it, is like all of the intention that's behind this end product. It, it's just it's as somebody who really believes in building community and and doing that with intention. As hard as it is for me to say this as a militant sober person, <laughs> it does feel like that's what you're doing at Stateline, yeah. producing alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I'm glad that's how it feels because that is that is exactly what we're trying to do,
0: right? I mean, the name State Line, you know, what is that? We're in the middle of the state. Why are we named
1: State Line? <laughs> I right? actually thought that this week.
0: You know? And so to me, it's it's about celebrating the heritage of this state. And we do that by finding partnerships elevating those around us to create a stronger sense of community from, you know, every level that we can. So it's hard, you know, getting the grain from the specific farmers in the Driftless. It's getting our sage from a different farmer out just outside of town, you know, so there is opportunity And, and actually even beyond like the raw ingredients in which we are making our spirits, like embedding ourselves within the culture around. So doing uh, events with other people that are, are trying to do great things in Madison. So yeah, it's funny being from Minnesota. Um, I've always had a sense of I'm, I'm a Wisconsinite. And I think that comes from my, <laughs> my, my dad being raised in you know new London and most of my extended family in the green Bay region. So it's Fox Valley, I guess. So it, it's just, I've always felt really at home here in the state. And I think Madison in particular is such a unique Area where you can drive 15 minutes and you're in the middle of cornfields. You're in the middle of barley and wheat. It's getting less
1: and less like that, though.
0: Yeah, it is. It is, and I'm holding on to it. Yeah, me too. You know,
1: my wife and I just moved back from Steamboat Springs, Colorado, where talk about driving for 15 minutes and being in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, it it was it was beautiful out there, but when we moved back, we could. The biggest difference that we noticed was how many. Well, no, the, the biggest difference we notice is how the sunsets are between the two sure. <laughs> the two places. It's like standard definition television versus eight K television. Yeah. Right? Um. But then the other thing is is that like it's so we left right as Dane County was really loosening COVID restrictions. Like the world was actually open. You know, we heard that eight hundred times mm-hmm. over those three mm-hmm. years that oh things are opening up. But no, we left right as things were really opening up. And it seems like we were we were only gone for 10 months. And it seems like in those 10 months, Dane County construction was just like, we're building. Yeah. We're we're building all the like there are so many new buildings in just 10 months that we're like, what is this place? Like we we there are times where it feels like we move back to not our home. Yeah. Not not a A familiar place but a new place
0: yeah no it's crazy the amount of of growth around here yeah yeah
1: and I and I remember talking to you back then and and you saying like you know we want you just mentioned it now like you want to be surrounded by what's happening and and be because that's the best way to be a part of what's happening right you know it's Madison Story Slam that's the name of the show and one thing on this go-around of these long-form conversation episodes of the show that I've been trying to focus on, you know, last time it was just like, well, I just like talking to people, so yeah. <laughs> like, let's just, let's just record entertaining conversations. But it's this, this podcast is about storytelling. Mm-hmm. And one thing I've been focusing on with episodes this time is talking to my guests about what it is that they're... What story are you telling you know, what is, what's the story that Stateline tells by doing what it does? And, and take, take that as everything that Stateline does, not just the product you, you create and sell, but all of the connections with community and and connecting with programs that are doing, what's the story that you as the founder of Stateline are hoping to be telling with Stateline?
0: Well, I I think it comes down to wanting to be a, integral member of our community at every level, Mm. right? That we're woven into this, this, so that yes, people know us for creating really amazing spirits that are, that we're using local ingredients whenever possible, but that we're also, you know, part of local fundraising movements Mm. that we're reaching out, um, to our community partners to just be a active voice in trying to make, uh, things better for the most people we can, right? And it's really, you know, it's interesting. This The, the theme of community comes up so much in my world. Mm, same. <laughs> um, and I look at from, you know, the day we opened six years ago to now and what my role is in terms of my day-to-day kind of job, you know, isn't necessarily running the still every single day, but it's ensuring that the community within the walls of state line is exactly what I want in the culture. And, and I believe very strongly if, if we as an entire organization believe in kind of how to do good within the community and the people around us, that we will grow and we will become an integral member of, of the Madison community and even beyond.
1: Hmm. Yeah, you know the Goodman Center has a a theme. I don't know if it's this year or just this month. They've they've got something going on right now. On um, actually tomorrow, but sorry listeners, this is last week for you guys. Uh, it's called "Be the Good," mm. and I I just I really like that thought of being the good. I talked about it on a past episode, but in Steamboat, you just have to. I talked about it on the last episode with Senator Agard. Actually, in Steamboat, you you had to. It's a very extreme place to live. Right. It's, ju- it's, you're four hours outside of Denver. You are up in the Rocky Mountains. And because of how extreme it is, you just need other people. You, mm-hmm. ha- you have to be the good for your neighbors. And you have to consider everyone that you meet as your neighbor and community member, not just mm-hmm. somebody that lives in the same city issue right because when you are in need out in an extreme place and you come across somebody you're really hoping hoping that that person is going to be the good for you and I think Madison has the potential to be like that steamboat was like that like everybody <laughs> right before we moved two days before we moved to Madison back to Madison there was something wrong with my car and I was in a, a restaurant parking lot yeah. And something was hanging off the front end, and this guy's in like his Sunday best clothes, and it's it's January, so it's gross, and it's a parking lot, so it's slushy, muddy, gross, wintry mix. Right, this guy in his khakis and Sunday sweater is down. He's like, no, I'll go, I'll get that, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, and he just—that's what steamboat people were like. Madison's not quite there, but I think that it could be, and I love. I love that there are pillars in our community like you and StateLine who are here to be the good, to be the people who are here to say, no, we, you are our community members. Right. We are here to to meet your needs as much as we can as a as a company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're not, you know, I think everyone needs to be willing to take that that step and then put it out there and and it's amazing to me how quickly you find the paths that connect, right? If mm. you if you're willing to put yourself out there and say, "Hey, we we want to partner with you. We want to do these things. We want to, you know, um be someone you can rely on." That those those lines get really strong really quickly, and yeah. then they lead to other people and other things, and it's it's
1: pretty neat. Something I'm I'm coming to find more and more that's harder, it's getting less hard to admit, but I'm Right away it was really hard. I we need people. I need people. <laughs> and you know, you're talking about like how those connections just lead to other things. And it's you know, the pandemic caused a lot of us to just be like, Well, I don't need people. <laughs> people right. are scary, people are bad. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's just been so interesting for me, and I'm sure a lot of people that come out of that and go, Oh no, like I be, in a way that I've never recognized, not even just because of the pandemic. I need people. I need mm-hmm. this connection. I am not the person I should be without it. Yeah. So I love that there's a space like State Line where people can come and connect and and uh, you know be the good. Yeah. Hey, do you find yourself coming to that realization as well that you need people, that you need the connection that we can all share? At some sort of event where community is the focus? Whoa, I have an idea. What about on May 20th at the Wilmar Neighborhood Center, Story Slam Boldly. We build community through storytelling. Come hear some great stories or even dare to share one of your own. All based on the theme Boldly. Sponsored by One Barrel Brewing Company. Come for great refreshments and even better stories. We can't wait to see you there. We're raising money for Wilmar with this event and uh, it's going to be a blast. Here's me and John. Let's talk a little bit more about what Stateline's doing as far as products. Sure. You know, I had uh, I'm I was never a gin drinker. I was never a vodka drinker. Is that we? Did you guys ever do vodka or not?
0: Yeah, we started with gin and that's vodka. That's what that's what I thought. Okay, yep.
1: it's been a while. Yep. <laughs> um. And uh, so I wasn't a gin drinker. I wasn't a vodka drinker. And I was waiting. I was biding my time for whiskey. I was You let me try your whiskey. They did. Um. How long? How long did you age it?
0: Well, now it's been aging six years. Yes. Yeah,
1: I think it was maybe two and a half years old when you right. let me try it. Wow, wow, just that's a, so long ago. Yeah, the wee little whiskey. And it was—I remember being like, "Man, I can't wait till this whiskey's ready." Yeah, and it's almost ready. It right? is.
0: Yeah, I mean, our first, our first release uh, will be this summer. Um, it's, and it's the American Single Malt, mm-hmm. which is a blend of. Wisconsin barley from the Driftless region and peated barley from Scotland to just kind of marry, you know, my time over there and in what we found as a really
1: amazing barley out in the Driftless region. I bet it smells amazing.
0: Oh, it's, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. You know, I normally don't like a lot. I, well, I, listen again, I don't drink anymore. But so let's just I'm going to speak in present tense like I do. I don't normally like a lot of peat. Yeah. But is it really peaty? No,
0: no. I re- yeah, that's what I thought. I remembered. It, it was pretty a light subtle touch yeah. of peat, right? But it's there. It it's actually it's m- not
1: that band aid taste. No,
0: no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, it's it's really a nice balance in terms of you know it it much of it drinks like a Highland fruity, really delicate, mm. and then you've got this back end that's like just that wisp of smoke that's there, mm. and it's that real you know. I, I love a lot of the uh, you know American single malts that are using uh, peated or not peated but smoked malt from the U.S. But that there's something very distinctly different from using peated malt.
1: Tell me about the the process of going with peated uh, malt from uh, or what peated barley from from yeah. Scotland. Yep. Like, did you go over there and choose what you want, or like, what's like? Like I said, everything's so intentional with distilling. Right. So I, I'm just curious, like, what what went into that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was, we didn't go over there. That would have been a great excuse for a trip, though. <laughs> <laughs> Business <laughs> yes, expense. <laughs> check, and off we go. Um, no, they sent us, we, we you know, they we had multiple samples sent to us. And then essentially what we do, and this is kind of for almost any whiskey that you're creating, for us anyway, our first step is to almost make a tea out of the... Really? Out of, out of the... The barley or the wheat or the rye or whatever that
1: makes sense, but I just never, you know, thought about yeah, that.
0: Yeah, so yeah. you you know you're it's certainly not going to give you a full accurate representation of what you're going to get, but it's going to give you like a glimpse behind the curtain of what this this uh, particular. Do you think there'd be something
1: behind uh, as a consumer being able to taste that before you taste the end product? Mm,
0: that's a really interesting
1: question. As far as being able to discer- your, have a discerning palate, right, right.
0: I mean, it certainly wouldn't hurt, you know. I, I don't know if it's – there's certain parts of it that are really instructive and things that don't translate all right. the way through. Yeah. But but for us, what we were doing was both looking at the unpeated barley from, you know, the Drifless region and then everything that we were getting uh, from Scotland um, from the Speyside region. And then kind of once we narrowed down on like, okay, these are the two or three that we like, then we started just – Blending them, playing with them, and and then you start small scale
1: stuff and it just then it gets gets fun. Gets, I was just yeah. gonna say that like <laughs> the uh the mad scientist and yeah. everybody is gonna come out at that point. Yes. Okay, well what I wonder what happens with
0: this and and all that. Yeah, exactly. So I mean that you know, so much of our time when it you know, you're first starting as R&D and you're just playing and making stuff on really small batches and then doing lab distillations uh, and then you say oh this is great let's give it a shot and then you try it on the full scale and it's totally different which is hmm. which is you know
1: why does why do you think that is like comes out so different it you know it just it i'll say it's like a
0: you throw a dart you you're not going to be completely off the dartboard if you're if you're doing your lab stuff correctly um, but it's never going to be it's not like a logarithmic scale right things things don't always translate when you are talking about something at at 1 liter versus a 1000 liters
1: but that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. yeah. and then, and then, like, let's say you get to the point where you are putting that all into barrels and stuff, like right. then you got every barrel's gonna affect that juice differently. yeah, like I think that's also a special thing. Like all the intention and all the whatever behind producing a spirit, but then there's that one thing, that barrel, each barrel is gonna just touch that juice differently, yeah and and leave its mark differently. And so, each barrel is going to taste different, each liquid, each, the liquid from each barrel is going to taste differently. So you've got all this intention, but really that last bit of flavor <laughs> is just left up mostly to kind of chance.
0: Yep. Yep. I mean, I think, you know, if you've done your your homework on the back end, mm-hmm. the the chance of having something that is not drinkable is pretty low, right? Right. But, yeah. From barrel to barrel, great variation. You know, you might get more oak, you might get more caramel, more vanilla, all these things that are going to be expressed as part of, so, you know, I it feels very much like a living part of the process because it's, it's active. Like there is, it's not a, you know, a lot of the things we do, it's like you do it and it's static and it's done. And then you just move on to the next step. Right. right? Once it goes into a barrel, boy, you know, temperature, humidity, time, it's all at play and and it it will completely change that spirit over time.
1: Do you, are your barrels stored in like a closed building or do you have any uh, open access or anything?
0: We don't have op- like truly open access. We have in our kind of I you know, I won't call it a rickhouse because because it's, it's, <laughs> it's not. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a barrel storage room. Uh so where we currently store everything. So uh, we we allow for really good swings in temperature and humidity, yeah, uh, by only really having a heat source in that that space. So it, in the summer, it's sweltering hot. In the in the winter, we just keep it warm enough so it doesn't get so cold that things are just kind of stopping, right. In terms of the process, yeah. Um, you know, you could argue our space maybe is a little too dry, like it needs a little more humidity, but. That's a lost thing.
1: Even though I don't drink anymore, I love this. I love shop talk. Yeah. Any shop talk, to be yeah. honest with you. But I have some knowledge about uh, drinking. And <laughs> <laughs> like any good Wisconsinite, right? Right, right. And uh, so, yeah, this is fun. But when does the whiskey come out? Because I know you you say it's ready, but that doesn't mean it's... In a bottle waiting to be, or maybe it is in a bottle waiting to be sold. I don't know.
0: No, it's not in a bottle yet. So we're in the the process of proofing it down, right? And so if we want to go, you know, nerd out for 20 seconds. Yeah, yeah. What's your proof at right now? So right now we're at somewhere around 62%, Okay. And by the time it gets to a bottle, we've settled on 47%.
1: Hey, listeners, it's Adam here, just doing just a minor correction on behalf of John. Right after he left, he sent me an email, and he said, I just realized I've been talking about 47%, but actually, once it's in the bottle, the whiskey from State Line is going to be at 45%. That's 45% alcohol by volume.
0: And that's its own thing, when you are pulling samples from the bottle or the barrel and then deciding on what proof you're going to be. You know, you try to create a max and a min, and then you can kind of create a spectrum there to find like, oh, this is where the this, the spirit shines. Mm-hmm. And for 40, 47 is where we've landed.
1: So over the course of a... Which you know, is 94 proof. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Just making sure I remember yep. it right here. Hey, Adam again here as I'm editing, letting you know since it's no longer you know 47% ABV, it's 45%. And since proof of a spirit or an alcohol is double the ABV percentage, 45 times two is class. That's right. The state line whiskey is going to be 90 proof. That's 90 proof.
0: And so as we're adding, you know, water additions slowly and cutting that spirit down, then we're allowing the water alcohol to mix in a gentle way. Mm -hmm. And then ending, you know, ideally a month before it's going to go in bottle to let it just mellow. You know, you think about it like a a really nicely made pasta dish that tastes better the next day, right? Same right. kind of. Oh yeah, that's a good. Know, yeah, like these kind of things just need time to interact and really learn what they are going to be at that that proof or ABV. Um, and so, you know, I'm not dodging your question on when it's coming right. Up. <laughs> I, I
1: I figured it's not like like a lot of a lot of what you do is an exact science. Yeah. Some of what you do is not. And yeah. The release date, I feel like, can't necessarily be because. It's just like you know, when when the when the liquid is ready to be sold it will it will tell us. Yeah,
0: I mean we're we're gearing up for June. Okay. And so some honestly we're at a point now where the proofing down schedule is lining up great. It's just now we we've you know you've got all the other packaging things and lead times with that from being designed and in house. So we're giving ourselves enough time to make sure we have everything in house and then we have enough time to talk about it and push it out into the world cuz it's you know, it's our first release. It's a big, yeah. big deal. Yeah, you should do a barrel proof. That's <laughs> at some point we will. No,
1: do it with the first one. Come on, it, you got to do like one run of bottles with what? Well, but you can't. So, all
0: right, uh, let's talk about single barrel proof stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah,
1: for sure. Let's nerd out. Yeah. Listen, I, that's
0: why I have you here. Yeah. So, I mean, the the thing about you know, if I'm giving a tour, I always i i one of the things I always talk about when we're speaking about whiskey is that. If I'm really looking for a, a special whiskey, yeah, um, I kind of look for two things: one, cast strength, right? So it's what it went into the, the barrel at, and single barrel, like those are the the things. Because what that's telling me is that the master noser, greatest title ever at a at a distillery, <laughs> so, right? It's a real that's thing. That's right. I forgot about that. The master noser, you know, either he or she, when they were checking these these barrels. Decided, ah, this one's perfect. Don't touch it. It's at the exact proof where the spirit is shining, and we're just going to filter it to get out the chunks of okay. charcoal and let it out. So, it, the the whole reason we spend as much time as we do on the proofing down is not an arbitrary number. It it is to find the spot where the whiskey shines. So at some point, I I fully expect we will have single barrel picks. Yeah, but then it won't be. It won't be just a few barrel or bottles. It'll be right. the whole thing. Right,
1: right. Yeah, I still say I <laughs> I, I, I get that and yeah. I, and I'm I am someone who, once I understand the logic of something, I can totally get on board with it. Sure. I would still say just just fill up like two or three bottles. <laughs> Maybe we will. We'll just see it. because like that's a special thing. is the first whiskey you guys did and yeah. make it even more special that you got the barrel proof, yeah, you know? right. Right. I think that's, maybe it doesn't taste as good, but <laughs> that's the thing, you know, I, I, uh, so I quit drinking and, and very promptly got into cannabis. Uh, my, yeah. my last conversation was with Senator Agard all about legalizing cannabis in Wisconsin. Uh-huh. And in, in weed, um, it's very common to talk about people who are chasing percentages. Mm. And by that you mean THC percentages, you know, every, every product you buy will list, whether it's flour or like oil or a cartridge, we'll say it's 87% THC if it's oil or a cartridge. Flour, if you're getting up into that like 30% range, they're they're doing some weird stuff to that flour to make it. But that's kind of the point I'm making. THC chasers are, it's so dumb. The, The higher the THC doesn't mean the better the product. And that's also true of spirits. It doesn't, just because... It's not bottled in bond. It's not that hundred proof. It's not, you know, it's not this extreme cast strength number. It doesn't right. matter. That doesn't, if you're if what you're looking for is to get fucked up, yeah, sure. Maybe <laughs> that matters. But if you're looking for a quality product that that has taste that speaks to the craft behind it, it's not about how big that that number is, that right. that percentage is. It's exactly what you're saying, is you you'll bring it down as far. As low as you've got to to make it be the taste that it has to be. Exactly. That's interesting. Yeah. It again shows how much care is going into it.
0: Yeah, and and that's and when it comes to those types of spirits, I you know this is where the true romance of it, right? For me, in, in kind of in in a sense of the word, is where we're. It's almost like you're having a conversation with the spirit, right? You're pulling hmm. it from the barrel, you're nosing it, you're smelling it, you're you're tasting it, you're looking at it and then you you are going back and forth in this this conversation like, "Well, what if we add water here? What does it do to you?" And then she, she
1: shows you and hmm. you say, "Oh, no, I like that or I don't." And why? And let's start playing with that. So it's So do you when you're doing that, you're not doing that to an entire barrel, right? You're taking some out. That's right. Okay. Yeah, cuz I was just thinking, well, what if you if you don't like it, you just get <laughs> rid of that barrel? Straight down the <laughs> yeah, no,
0: yeah, you're pulling samples out and then that allows you to you, you've got so many moves from yeah. there.
1: You know, I imagine, speaking of the relationship and how it's kind of a conversation, that remind, reminded me a lot of songwriting. Mm. There are some songs where you are the... John Foreman, the lead singer of Switchfoot, He's he also does a, a uh, solo project where he's just like this amazing singer-songwriter type. And he gave an interview once where he talked about how when you write a song, there are two... For him, there are two versions of it. There's one... Some songs you're... When you write it, you are the, the blueprint drawer-upper, the, the designer, the architect, e- everything, every step of the way until that house or that building that is that song is built. You've done every little bit of, of work. Mm-hmm. And then he said, but then there are some where you're more like, not an architect, but an archaeologist, where you're just kind of moving away the things from the thing that's either always existed or wanted to exist, wanted to be there. And it's just letting you know what to move away. And as you're speaking about that conversation between whiskey or or a spirit and the distiller, it reminds me of that in that, or any creative endeavor, where if you're an artist working on something, usually if it's something that has your heart, that piece is going to let you know when it's done. Right. You're not deciding. Yep. And that might sound so woo-woo and out of left field (laughs) to some people who are listening, but that's just because you're not artistic. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I get that that could sound kind of crazy, but it really, it's true. That artistic piece, that creative vision doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the piece.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I would say waiting six years to release a whiskey was uh, quite hard, I right? I bet. You know, it's like- Because you got into it for whiskey, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And it was like, all right, I'm ready for this to be done. I'm ready. And it's like, okay, are you going to be done? You know, <laughs> and it, and it's just, it's really a, it's a, I don't know, a humbling experience to just kind of have to sit back and wait and let something have the time. Humbling's maybe not the right word. Really you, a, a gaining a level of appreciation of the craft, right? Yeah. You know, for years and years I've drank a 20 year old scotch or mm-hmm. single malt or mm-hmm. whatever. And you see it and you're like, wow, it's a 20 year. And then to be into this for six years and and think about even the fact that now, you know, when I, it, that, that predates my second child, you know, it, there's right. all these things, milestones that are happening in the background, life is moving and yet the whiskey just sits and the whiskey needs the time. And it's, it becomes this really interesting timestamp. So I've, I've grown a much greater appreciation for age statements that I, I look at and I think about the people behind it hmm. and, you know, Someone who maybe was an apprentice distiller at 18 or 20 years old in Scotland right. and they they had their hand in putting this into a whiskey barrel that when it finally was harvested, they were in their forties. You know? I mean, that's a crazy thing.
1: Right. You know, when when as a consumer, when you see a six-year age statement, you see that small number six. You don't see the two thousand some odd days that six Yours is right, and and all of the hours and all of the moments. Think of the moments in the last sixty days that have been important to you. Right, multiply that by over two thousand days. Yeah, that's what went into this whiskey. Right, that's what this whiskey's been waiting for. Yep, all of those moments have built up to this moment that you're sipping and tasting. Like it's it's really cool, and I ju- I know that there's people listening who don't understand why that's cool, and like <laughs> they're hearing this and they're just like okay it's
0: so cool. And you know what? that and that's okay, you know, cuz i think we each have to bring our own experience to whatever we're doing whether it's sipping on a whiskey or not, but it just yeah, it, it and i and i even have been reflecting more on it, it's just it's go 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 when you're running a business, like next thing and the next thing and the next thing and they podcast
1: take, interviews left and right. Yeah, left and right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this moment here that's coming up in the not too distant future is going to be a moment of pause for mm. everybody at the company like a, a celebration of of what we're doing and that is one of the fun things about whiskey
1: it almost seems like for State Line and for you it the release of this whiskey is a pillar of the company that's been being like you know you think most pillars of a company are they're there and built when the company's going this is a pillar the last pillar maybe not i don't know but this is a final pillar that The whole time that Stateline's been a company, you guys have been slowly adding more and more to it to, this is what we want to stand upon, even though it's not done yet. And finally, you're coming to that moment where where we get to stand upon this. Right. And you're totally right. What a moment to have and to pause and reflect and say, it's six years of this. It's been a fucking hell of a ride. Yep. And uh, it's just so special. I'm. I'm. I wish I could drink it. <laughs> I wish. I wish I could. You know, I saved one bottle, a special bottle for me, uh, from from when I was a drinker. I, but I'll never drink it. I don't yeah. know why I have it still. But I wish I could take part in in, in uh, your whiskey release. But uh, I'm really happy for you guys. And and uh, speaking well, of being you. happy for you, uh, breaking news. Let's talk about some uh, some spirit competitions that yeah. uh, State Line has been. Anything else you want to say about whiskey first before oh, we move I mean, on to that?
0: We could talk whiskey all know, day, did, but right. yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, cool. Um, whiskey
1: competition, San Francisco.
0: Well, like, spirit, yeah, spirits, yeah. So yeah. the San Francisco has what's called the World Spirits Competition. We've never actually submitted anything, and this year we we took three of our spirits, our our coffee liqueur.
1: What are. is a coffee liqueur?
0: Ah, uh, well, it can. Be, I know what
1: coffee is. Yeah,
0: I'm never quite sure what a liqueur is. It can <laughs> be many things. Well, so a liqueur is just a sweetened alcohol, right? Okay. That we're drinking, right? Okay. So there's there's okay. parameters of how much alcohol needs
1: to be in, and there's sugar content. And is a liqueur? Like that. Is this a mistake to think? But is liqueur usually thicker? Like I'm thinking like Bailey's like thickness. Yeah,
0: right. right. That I mean, that's a cream base for right. sure, so for sure. I mean, often they are the viscosity is going to be a lot higher just because of the sugar content.
1: Oh, okay, that makes sense. Right? Yeah. So,
0: um, so coffee liqueur as a general category is basically taking the flavor of coffee, adding some alcohol and sugar to it, and calling it a day, right? <laughs> and so, you know, like any any spirit that we look at creating, we kind of take a, a snapshot of what's on the market and and then decide where can we fit and i think when we kind of started the eight month development process of coffee liqueur it was looking at the kind of cloying nature of, of many of them like being too sweet and not enough coffee so then we reached out to our friends at johnson public house and started down this Crazy caffeinated path of yeah. <laughs> heart palpitations and pit sweats of drinking different types of coffee all day long. So, is
1: it kinkin coffee that is it? Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Very and cool. so,
0: so we we finally landed on using cold brew coffee. So it's it's cold brew coffee um, mixed with our vodka and a little cane sugar. And so, what you get is this amazing chocolatey, velvety coffee experience that has a lot of caffeine because it's cold brew and yet it's balanced out by our base spirit, our vodka, which is already incredibly smooth because we're using wheat and barley. Um, and so we entered that and we entered our American gin and the rum into that, that competition and we just heard that we've got double gold in the coffee liqueur, which that's is really cool. insane. Yeah. I mean, that means all 32 judges gave that spirit a gold wow. rating. So really excited about that. And then, uh, of course, our American gin and our rum both got silvers. And when you're talking a worldwide competition. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I remember
1: what the San Francisco Spirits competition, is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah, I remember that. Like, Cole from Chill Filtered would always be like, this, this bottle we're drinking won this at yeah. San Francisco, blah, blah, blah. So, dude, that's awesome. Thank you. Double gold is very impressive. Yeah,
0: we're excited. I mean, it's funny, you know, I think coffee liqueur started at less than 1% of our sales um, a few years ago, and as it's all of a sudden been discovered, it now accounts for
1: close to 30%. Wow. Yeah. Pandemic. Pandemic. <laughs> people, yes, exactly. People people needed coffee and booze during the workday. Yeah, so, exactly. Yeah. there you go. Gets them through. <laughs> uh speaking you know the johnson public house kin kin do you know that that is where i got my start in storytelling and in story slams you,
0: you know what you had told me that a long time ago and uh, that you'd hosted some possibly over occupancy possibly event. maybe I mean, no one knows yeah right no, it's all nobody sp-
1: knows for sure yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, so before Madison Story Slam was a thing, there was JPH Story Slam, which was started by a guy named Greg White, who does Madison Pro Audio. Oh, okay. And after a while, Greg just didn't, he didn't have time to do it at JPH anymore, and I had been going there and telling stories, and Gwen and Kyle from Johnson Public House were like, you're pretty good. Do you want to just come and host it? But then it just got so big that it like it didn't make sense to call it JPH Story Slam right. anymore and keep it there. Yeah. Yeah crazy how paths move though right well yeah, like- absolutely and I, what i was thinking was like well of course this, this your stuff won double gold you got you got you guys you got john Melezeva who knows his shit and is, knows what you're doing when it comes to distilling and then you've got gwen and kyle johnson who have been in the coffee game forever and know what they're right. doing produce great shit as well and you guys are just coming together to make great shit go double gold right so- right
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was all, and it was just like, that to me is like such a key component of like these, these relationships and community, like people that are doing good in the space that they're uh, operating in. And we just, you know, we found each other. It it was really quickly apparent. Like we're both nerds and want (laughs) to have some fun with this and down the rabbit hole we went. I mean, it was eight months that we worked on this recipe and it just, and it never felt like work, you know. It was just like he, Kyle would show up with like fifteen different types of coffee, to like in like different in each type, like a V60 versus pour over versus cold. You're know, just like, I don't drink that much coffee, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, you know, I was very caffeinated. I
1: bet, but it still sounds like i f- I'm also not a co- coffee drinker. So yeah. To be honest with you, none of that sounds fun <laughs> to me. I actually. Uh, I have never had coffee in my life I've really even, it's never touched my lips Wow I, well since my diabetes diagnosis I've only had water to drink Sure so, since December 16th 2019 only water water all the time and but coffee uh, my parents told me that it would stunt my growth and I wanted to be tall yeah. I mean they told me that from the time I was I remember the first time the first time I remember hearing it I was four years old sitting outside at a dairy queen. Huh. They said you don't want to drink coffee; it'll stunt your growth. And I wanted to be tall, and I'm six six. So, who you know, it worked. It works. <laughs> <laughs> Not genetics, right? Yeah, nothing <laughs> to you do. know, never mind that I was a, co- uh, a soda addict who loved, like, I loved caffeine in yeah. that way. So, yeah, like, just yeah. so would have done the same thing. So. Yeah. You know, I I have always I've always wanted to go back to JPH for a story slam yeah. to do a much more intimate, o- almost at the level that we were doing at State Line but maybe even smaller, like just a really intimate night of just like, let's go back to our roots. This is where we came from kind of thing. But I don't think, they've redesigned their space now and I just don't think it would work there sure. anymore. But I love the Johnsons. I love I love that that's part of my history. I love it's part that it's part of your history yeah. now too. Um, but speaking of like, Doing events at places. By the way, we'd love to come back, but um, <laughs> <laughs> we'd, we'd love to have you. Well, good to hear. Um, you guys, one thing I've always been so impressed with State Line is, and maybe this just goes back to to what we've already talked about—that you want to be in the community and plugged in. You've always got stuff going on, yeah. And it doesn't very often seem like stuff that you guys are necessarily putting on. You're very often partnering with people and saying, "Yes, come in, use our space, put on these events, and get people in here." And it doesn't just seem like a cash grab, like it does with some places. It seems like, no, we genuinely want you here in this space to utilize. That's what this place is for. Right. Tell me about that. Why is that the attitude for State Line? Why
0: has that been so important? I mean, I think we want to be that hub. We want to at least be a part of that. Right. So, anytime I'm meeting someone who's passionate about what they do, that I I find that inspiring. Yeah. And so, and and if it. Gosh, double bonus if it lines up with some of, you know, my core beliefs about what I, I find important in supporting out in the world. And if someone is doing something like that and wants to come in in and either talk about it or or have an event at our space, like I'll do what I can to help make that happen. Um, because I think it all it, it comes back to like, you know, we are a cocktail lounge by nature we've always been more than that right oh, because totally. like it's the part of the magic of state line is that we make everything there and then we kind of we then we're putting it out for the world and so everything about what we're doing is trying to invite people in to learn and so it, whether it's an outside group or it's something that we're making in house that that's really fun to me
1: let's say let's say somebody listening just heard you say all that and just heard you say that, you know, everything we're doing is we're putting it out, but we're inviting people to learn. Let's say somebody hears that and takes you literally like, well, yeah. I want to come in and like, I want to learn about this. What can they do? They can f- they do that? Sure. I mean, I, I
0: mean, the quickest way to probably get in touch with us is to either write me an email, right? JM um, at distillery.com Or you could reach out to our events person, events at com, and, that's typically how the conversation starts, unless someone's at the bar and they're just like, "This this place is cool." Like, I see that you do a lot of events. I would love to work with you. And they leave a card, and we go from there. So,
1: oh no, I meant so. Okay, that's all great too. <laughs> but listen, I I love your facility. Are you talking booze? I just mean like, you know, I've I've taken a distillery tour. Yeah can, can people do that with you guys? I, I, I sort of laugh because like your tour is like, well, this is the room that everything happens in. right? But I more mean like, if you want to invite people in so that they can learn, will you walk them through some processes of like, will you show them like, I'm doing this next because this is going to react? Like, can they come in and, and see you do that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think my, I think Mark, my day-to-day production manager would would uh, not love if I did that all the time right. while the stills are running. <laughs> but uh, honestly, I I give tours all the time at this point. You know, It's not like every Saturday at 3 p.m., 2 p.m., 1 p.m. kind of thing because it's me. I'm the only that one. That would be
1: that... a weird schedule, 2 p.m., 3 p.m., yeah, 1 p.m. It
0: would be. <laughs> it would be a hard one to keep, in fact. Um, <laughs> but I I'm the only one that gives the tours right now. So a long time ago... You know, when we first opened and I had I I would have organizations reach out and say, hey, I'm I'm doing a silent auction for X, Y, Z. Would you mind um, donating a bottle of spirits? And I would say, sure. You know, if it's something I was believing in. Um, Years ago, I, I switched that to say, actually, you know, I would much rather donate a tour for you and or for a group of up to 10 people to come in and do a personal tour with me, a tour and tasting. Yeah. And we walk through the entire experience. And one, I found that, uh, people love that as an experience. Um, in two, I love it. Like it's, you know, those people have bid on it at an auction, you know, they're raising money for the cause they want, but then they're also getting to come out and, and see behind the curtain with me. Um, and so I, I, I love those events. So, I mean, people can also reach out to me at that email yeah. to ask about booking a tour. That's pretty much the way I do it now is just if they're not donated things out in the world, it's individual groups writing and saying, I'd love to to come learn. Do you do tours? And I say, yes, I do.
1: Awesome. And, and I, you know, I, John, I love you. I, I just, <laughs> I love your attitude and your you're a refreshing, it's a refreshing conversation to have with somebody like you because- I don't know. You just remind me of there are good people in Madison. <laughs> there are people that want to be the good yeah. for other people, and uh, you do it so well. No, so, thanks. Yeah. Right back at you, man. <laughs> well, <laughs> I wasn't fishing, but yeah. thank you. Um, anything else? Any, any before we wrap up here? Anything? Anything uh, that that people need to know about John or State Line?
0: Oh, this I, this is just so much fun. I appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I well, I appreciate you coming on. Listeners, you should go check out State Line. You can uh for sure check the, the show notes here. There are links to their website and their social media, things like that. Be sure to go go check out some Thursday night, go do trivia at State Line. Go go check out any of the events that they do, like basically every fucking night of the week. There's something going on there. <laughs> I believe tasting room Monday through Friday, five to Monday 11? through Thursday, five to ten. Uh, Friday and Saturday, three to midnight. Oh, nice. Okay. I knew I knew there was some split there. I almost yeah, yeah. had it. You almost did. had it. Um, John, once again, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, once again, for tuning in to this episode. Glad you made it all the way through. I got to tell you, as I was editing the episode today, I found myself just listening, enjoying the conversation from John, the information that he was giving, and also, John, I don't know if you know this, but man, you got to be a voice actor. You got to go read books for Amazon or something. Start a podcast because you, my friend, have a voice for radio, a face for, for the screen, John. Don't get me wrong. All right, enough of that. Listeners, just a one final reminder. May 20th at the Wilmar Center here in Madison, Wisconsin, we've got our first Story Slam event in over three years. The theme is Boldly, and I know that you've all been bold. I know that during the pandemic, you made some bold moves and bold decisions. Maybe you even made some bold, I don't know, bold uh, typefaces and sold them on creativemarket.com. Not a sponsor, just a place I like to go. All right. We will see you next time and next week. Hey, the next episode is the last episode before that story slam. So, you know, get ready. It's a coming. All right. Can you tell that I've run out of things to say in the outro and I'm just waiting for the part where I get to say the thing I always say, which is, and as always, I love you.